Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, my friends are gone and my hair is grey. I ache in the places where I used to play And I'm crazy for love But I'm not coming on I'm just paying my rent every day In the Tower of Song Here we are on Radical Australia And the Empress herself, Dale Bridge, is back from the deep north how are you young person i'm very well thank you joseph well i'm pleased you're here because i missed you last week andy oh. he's all right but he just hasn't got the experience you've got oh you know it's good to be back it's good to be back i'm pleased you weren't arrested and incarcerated <laughs> and put in a little pink jumpsuit but that's mm. all right mm. now we've got a so we've got a guest <laughs> we always have guests on radical australia now patty don't get upset if I mispronounce your name. I mean, I've actually forgotten people's name mid-interview. Yeah, you're right, yeah. Paddy Moriarty. Moriarty's correct, yes. Hey! Good <laughs> That's the beginning. Now, Paddy, you must be sick and tired of the goon jokes. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> you must be sick of it. Yeah. I mean, all your life, all your life you've had to bear that, haven't yes, you? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It's um it's actually just an Irish name meaning um sailor. Sailor. Still, yeah. Hello, sailor. It's about three times as long in in Gaelic. It's been ang- anglicised. So what's the Gaelic? Do you know? Um, your teatro. So it's about twice as long. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sounds sounds like you're Maori. Um, now we only ask two questions on Radical Australia. The first one takes three seconds to answer, and the other one you takes forty seven minutes. Right. And the first question is just to give people an idea of. Where they can place you. What was your date? Not date of birth, but the year of birth. Nineteen forty-three. Forty-three. Yes, which means I'm seventy-two now uh, and a half. Yeah. I'm, I'm pleased you did that because our maths isn't that great, is it, Dale? <laughs> no. All right. Seventy-three. Yeah. Two and a half. Seventy-two and a half. Seventy-two and a half. Yeah. All right. Now, what's the earliest thing you remember? Probably primary school, I think. No, no, no. Come on, come on. Don't give me that. You must remember things before primary school. Come on, give us your first memory. This it every guest been... we have, every guest we have gives me this crap. All oh, right, it could have been, it could have been a, 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 our pet dog or something, or maybe yeah, a yeah. calf or something like that. A I think. Calf. Yeah. What'd you, have, what'd you have pet calf for? I grew up in Mount Evelyn, so we had a few, always had a few cows around. Yeah. Mount Evelyn's in the back of Melways now, but it wasn't always. Yeah, I know Mount Evelyn. Yeah. I'm actually going there tomorrow. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, I've got home visiting to do up in that area. Right. Tomorrow, Mount Evelyn. Yeah. I remember riding a bitchery. Who was it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we appeared in the age a few years ago. Oh, I've forgotten. But I remember there was this image of the 1930, remember the great 1939 bushfires? Before your time, yeah, obviously. Yeah, I've But that, that, that would have been part of the Mount Evelyn. Yeah. And there was this... There was this 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 woman, this Swedish woman, or she, no Norwegian woman, with three kids running behind her, leading the cow 
from right. Mount Evelyn from the fires. So right, that, yeah. that, was, that was the opening sentence. Yeah. And true so Obviously, cows were big in Mount Evelyn. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so was it a farm you lived on? Oh, sort of. My, my, my father actually was an architect. My mother was a teacher, but right. we, we had 40 acres there, and so we you know used to grow our own veg and always – and it was half – wooded so we cut firewood which uh, warms you twice once when you cut it and once when you burn it yeah, right so, it's, so you're way ahead yeah so you, you, we 40, had, 40 acres on mount evelyn yeah yeah i mean you, your parents well, were the original hippies yeah <laughs> not quite <laughs> not quite <laughs> <laughs> i assume your parents aren't alive no no no, 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 no. no. tell us t- what was your dad's name um Bartholomew, uh, Frank, Francis Bartholomew, I think. Francis Bartholomew I think, Moriarty. Yeah, or Francis Michael Moriarty, I think. Could have something, been. something like that. Yeah, right, yeah. right. What, what was he like? Was he typical of his age? Or? Uh, well, he died when I was fairly young, and right. he was um, a member of the Campion Society, which was a – this is a, a group, I think post-war group of, um, of sort of Catholic professionals. It sort of was a – Forerunner of the um, National Civic National Civic yeah, Council, yeah. and it, it wasn't quite the same. And until Santa Maria took it, it was a bit more civilized, I think. But he died in 1955, the year before the split, which of course meant that. Um, so you were what? Only eight. Yeah, eight or ten or something. But it, it saved me um, a lot of uh, you know parental conflict, as it were. Yeah, but going back to that period, I mean, obviously, did you have any brothers and sisters? Yeah, uh, uh, three brothers and uh, uh, two brothers and three sisters. Yeah. Well, that'd be that'd be a yeah. kind of catastrophic situation for a, a young family to be in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what you've got four. Oh, he was sick for quite a while. He was yeah. Sick? What from the war or no rheumatic fever? Actually, rheumatic although he fever. was a sportsman when he was young, right? Yeah. And he got rheumatic fever. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, now it's nothing. I don't well, think it's nothing. As long as you diagnose it, yeah, it's a yeah. big thing in Aboriginal communities in the northern Australia, right? Still, because it's still not being diagnosed, right. and they're coming to a lot of them. Younger people come to surgery if you diagnose. It's a bit of penicillin. That's the end of that. All oh, right. So, how did your mum cope? Well, um, we actually worked on farms in Sylvan every school holidays from about the time I was ten. So there were right. there were six of us, and the thing is, we're being paid by the um, by what you by what you pick. Um, kids can earn as much as adults because we, yeah. I mean, picking strawberries yeah. in a forty degree temperature, you know, we're, we're probably better at it than adults yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are. And what was your mum's name? Uh, Gwen, um, Gwendolyn Agnes. The reason is because although I'm Irish on three sides, uh, her mother was, was Welsh. Right, right. And what was she like as a mum? Pretty good, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you said she worked? Yeah, uh, she was a high school teacher, uh, modern languages, yeah. Which would have been unusual in those days, wouldn't well, it? Well, especially since uh, French and German um, mm. she did at uni. And uh, German was especially unusual because she was at school during the First World War, I think. And... Um, um, Obviously, German wasn't a popular language then, but the uh, but the Irish Brigidine nuns made a point of honour of teaching German during the First World War. Right, right. right. <laughs> well, it is the Brigidine nuns. What did you expect? <laughs> but uh, that's interesting because if she wasn't a widow, she wouldn't have been allowed to teach in those days. Oh, this was in the at the local convent. She taught. Oh, she taught. So it wasn't a, a yeah. public. She was hardly paid much. I think you know because right. right. at those, that time they were all religious. You know, yeah. and, yeah. Uh, and the. Uh, Costs for the students were very low, you know. Because so, 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 what you went to? Were you part of a religious family at that stage? Did you go to church every yeah, Sunday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What did you think about that? Oh well, at the age of ten or something, mm. you don't think about it. You just no, go. You, go. <laughs> <laughs> you still remember the incense? Yeah, I was an older boy, so I remember all that. Yeah, yeah I remember yeah, all that. Well, yeah. we won't go down that path. You no, know, no, you no, never no. know what you can dig up no, in these no, days. No, no, no. So, 
Yeah, I, I might add that four of my father's sisters were, were nuns, actually. Were nuns. Four of your father, I mean, father's that's, sisters. That's more than a... Usually from an Irish family, didn't one, one <laughs> join the church? As a, well, I think it says something <laughs> about my, my grandfather's marriage. Four yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah, yes, they decided they didn't want to emulate it. No, 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 no. So let's go back to strawberry picking because we've got something yeah. in common here. You won't believe this because I actually was brought up on a strawberry farm. And yeah. Well, you, all you, berries. This is in yeah, Sylvan, yeah. Yeah, Sylvan. So tell us what a day entailed strawberry picking. What did you do as a 10-year-old? Well, you walk up the hill, Mount Evelyn Hill, to catch mm. the bus. There was sort of a, a bus ran... To, to collect pickers mm-hmm. who went out to um, Stone's farm in, in Sylvan. Mm. And um, we all had straw hats and uh, you used to go under the uh, irrigation water whenever you could, pump yeah. Yeah. <laughs> get cool off. Yeah. And um, you had a, uh, a, wooden, a flat-bottom wooden tray which held... Um, well, we picked strawberries of three types. We picked for jam, for, um, for the market... And for canning. Yes. So the big strawberries went for the, the market, for the punnets. Yep. Uh, the middle-sized firm ones went for the um, canning and yeah. the crap, which you pulled out the rot and you slopped that into the uh, right. jam. Yeah, yeah, but my... it smelled great. I mean, it actually gave it flavour. Oh, it did, it did. Yeah. And the thing is you had to take the top off for the yeah. jam. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so the, that, that's a lot of work. For you the know? jam and the, uh, and the canning, yeah. So little fingers are very good for that. Yeah, yeah. See, my, my first page, I think I was about 14, and I worked in... Uh, Cotties, remember Cotties yeah. jam? Yeah, they're still yeah. around. And it was my job because they had these big boilers. It was my job to go around with a pan and a brush and actually brush up all the fruit that had fallen out when they were putting it in, and actually put it through a sieve and then put it back in. <laughs> right. <laughs> so nothing was lost. No, that was my job as yeah. a fourteen-year-old. It'd be called re- recycling. Recycling. <laughs> very good recycling. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and to make matters worse, it was actually a dirt floor. Yeah. Well. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's why they had to be washed through the sieve first. Yeah. yeah you know. Yeah. So, um, did your brothers and sisters also pick strawberries? Oh yeah, we all did. Yeah. The whole family. Yeah. All the six what, kids. Could, what could you make in a day? Uh, two pounds when I was about twelve. That two pounds. Yeah. In one day. Yeah. I mean, the adult wage there would would be ten pounds a week. If yeah, that, it, was, it? it was pretty good for, as I say, for a kid, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. So you did that every school holiday. Yeah, All right. and that's kept the family afloat. Well, I mean, I started, you know, getting scholarships as well. I mean, obviously, it cost nothing at primary school, but yeah, yeah. And let us just take it yeah. easy. We'll, yeah. we'll go step by step. You know, this, this is all, <laughs> you haven't got to grade seven yet. No, we haven't got to grade <laughs> one yet. All right. What were you like at school, primary school? Oh, fairly good. I mean, I was one of the few that spoke English, of course, which probably helped. Mm-hmm. It was a language of instruction. Uh, they're mainly um, Dutch and and Italian at Lloydale Primary right. School. Yeah, in those days, yeah, yeah, because of the farms. Yeah, they would have worked on the farms as labourers and. Yeah, working for the MMBW as well um, oh. when they were putting in pipes and that sort of thing. Yeah. In fact, in those days, a truck used to come through and pick up the labourers and take them to the jobs. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just an ordinary. Um, uh, we just fitted with them with benches and then it uh, tipped dirt the rest of the day, I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, day labourers, great yeah. job, you know. You'd wait. Sometimes they'd pick you and sometimes they wouldn't. You know, that was still happening in the in the late 70s in Melbourne? Oh, I think in, earlier on it, there was a shortage of labour, labour, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. There were jobs then, at least. Yeah. I, I know. It's, I, remember, I remember when I first came to Melbourne, I, you'd go somewhere in... Collingwood or Fitzroy or somewhere I've forgotten where and you'd stand in a line and they'd come with a truck and they'd say you, you, you as oh, right. day labourers that was still in the 70s right. that was going oh. on yeah. um, so 
Did you excel at anything in primary school? Anything you particularly liked? I don't know. Don't um, know. Very large classes. I think I was uh, sort of an all-rounder, yeah. Yeah, all-rounder. Yeah, yeah. All-rounder. So, uh, and when you left the Catholic primary school, where did you go? Well, I got a, uh, in grade seven, I got a diocesan scholarship. A and what scholarship? Diocesan scholarship. Right, right. And that was for a year. And uh-huh. they before there was... Uh, government aid to church schools. Mm. They used to have these central schools. They were junior government scholarships, right? Right. And these paid for your secondary education. Right. And so they had these sort of grammar schools mm-hmm. where the, the best and brightest from the primary schools went. Mm. And and I got a, a junior government scholarship, and that paid for my uh, for my secondary education. And where did you go? Marsland. Marsland. Hmm. Uh, that's another Catholic. Maris Brothers. Yeah. Maris Brothers. Was that all male? Was it? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, it has to be. Yeah, Maris yeah. Brothers. What was that like? Oh, they weren't. Oh, they weren't so bad. There were some guys. It was pretty restrictive. Looking back, of course, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, you you just accepted the shit then. But uh, looking back on it, you know, yeah. yeah. And uh, did you excel at anything in in secondary college? Well, it's uh, there. I mean, the choice. I mean, now in year twelve, I have about a hundred. Subjects, you know, yeah. underwater knitting and so on and so That's on. Right. In those yeah. days, there was just there was <laughs> two maths, physics, physics, chemistry, English, French, and Latin, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and English, I did the maths French, and sciences and yeah, yeah. physics A, yeah. maths A, maths B. No, it was pure and applied maths. A. Pure uh, and applied. It was one subject and, and calculus. No, no, pure mathematics, and the other one was calculus and applied mathematics. Mathematics, right? Yeah, yeah. physics, chemistry, English. Yeah. Yeah. I think ten years later, when I went through, it was maths A, maths B. Oh, yeah. physics. They already started watering French down. and English, yeah. They're on the way to psychology and Australian studies. I Were they? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> God, you young kids. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Handed on a platter. Yeah, well, <laughs> I assume you excelled at sport. No, I, I used to play a bit of uh, football and cricket and so on. Football and cricket. Yeah, but to, well, that's all they had then, and none of this, um, you know, no. archery or you know, badminton or no, no. no. lacrosse, yeah, <laughs> polo. <laughs> no, <laughs> they weren't options. No. They weren't options. No. So, where would you? Play? You're a pretty small bloke. I assume you're talking about AFL or VFL in those days. Where, would, where did you play? Oh, no wing, I think. Yeah. Wing. Oh, yeah, that, that's yeah. to be expected. Yeah. 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 And you weren't a wicket keeper. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you decided in your high school stage that you really weren't going to make it in sport, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Right. No. <laughs> no. I thought further studies were indicated. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So what year did you graduate? Uh, 65, 67, 71. 1971? Well, 65. From high school? No, 65 first degree, 67. No, no hang on. What, what year did you finish high school? 62, uh, 61. 61. So a relatively quiet time, wasn't it? That's the 1961 election when historically Menzies won by the preferences of the Communist Party in the seat of Morton. Like I wouldn't that. have remembered, you know. Just yeah, didn't yeah I, was, I was just thinking, with, yeah. with, with, with uh, Turnbull get, sneaking yeah, back with yeah. one seat and a few hundred preferences, yeah. it was the seat of Morton, I've forgotten the bloke's well, name. Which is Queensland, that, isn't it? In Queensland. Yeah. And it was a hung parliament and then he, the Communist Party preference, the Liberals before Labor. What? Oh, I always used to do that because they wanted to bring on the revolution by bringing... Oh, the, yeah, the, the bloodier the better. <laughs> that was their philosophy, believe it or not. And... Uh, he only won by about 200 votes in 61, uh, and uh, he, he, then he continued. The Liberal Party continued for another one and a half decade. So maybe there's a lesson there for Turnbull, because they're already pulling that out of the, 
these facts and figures when they talk. They said, oh, well, look, <laughs> Bob means these. Yeah. <laughs> so you finished in 65. Yep. How, how did you go? Oh, got a past degree or something. But I'd done pretty well throughout the course. So I, I managed to get a scholarship, um, Australian Road Research Board scholarship for my right. master's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And where did that take you? Uh, Master of Engineering Science. <laughs> what university? Did you go to university? Melbourne, to Melbourne University. Yeah, yeah. Well, did you hear that? Uh, obviously Melbourne. I mean, the way he said it. Well, there weren't many others around there. No, there wasn't. No. In fact, it was interesting then because what used to happen in engineering until 67, they started giving, um, instead of diplomas, they, they started giving mm-hmm. degrees to tech college students, which was a very good idea because up till then, a lot of the, the best tech college students used to come to university and do two years mm. and do the course again uh, to get uh, a degree. Mm. So what used to happen was that the staff at Melbourne Uni were really terrible. I mean, uh, from the point of view of student-staff relations, because they didn't care if people failed because, in other words, they had the cycle where the, they failed most of them at uni and they'd go down to the techs and the best in the techs had come up to university. So, so they never had, they could always fill their classes. Right, right. And, and it would still be ourselves, right? Which mm. is, but why choose engineering as a 17 or 18 year old? Because, um, well, it's like in the Soviet Union, right? A lot, right. Of, pe- a lot of people did engineering. Mm. It was very popular there because um, Maris Brothers didn't really encourage much in the way. They weren't bad at teaching arts and, um, um, sorry, um, science and maths, but they weren't very good at teaching the humanities. And, um, you know, so I was probably better at them than I was at the others. Did you have an affinity for it or you just picked the course because it's what was expected? Yeah, um, as I say, my father was an architect. I've I've never regretted having done engineering. Mm. Mm. Are you good at making paper planes? Yeah, I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) I don't know if you know that joke, Dale. The engineering students always used to... Yeah, make paper planes and throw them in the lecture. It was their big thing. I remember yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> big thing. They could make really good paper planes. But uh, going back, what was Melbourne Uni like in the early 60s? Well, I think it was much more... Universities were much more intellectual places than they are now. I think people... Any student was expected to be an intellectual. It even touched the, the, the engineering school to some extent, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, issues were regarded as important then. I mean, you know, and... Uh, or what was it, Farago and so on? The yes. I mean, uh, to give you an idea, the guy that taught me maths, um, Jack Ryan, uh, he used to run a new. Or he was editor of a newspaper called 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 the the Catholic Worker. This was in DLP times, remember? Mm, mm. And at its peak, that printed fifty thousand copies a week of a left wing Catholic newspaper. Yeah. I mean, it was a different time. People were interested in politics then, mm. you know. Mm, there was less to do. Yeah, there wasn't any <laughs> any daytime tele- television. No, no much no, no, or, very or, few or else celebrity chef shows or else people watching. So uh, obviously you weren't commuting from Mount Evelyn every day. No, I stayed. I um, well because my mother was a widow, and mm. um, so uh, Commonwealth scholarship was full living allowance because it was more than twenty miles or something from home. That's right. Yeah. So I stayed at, at college at Newman. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, people forget that because I got. Oh, no, it's great. I got a Commonwealth mm-hmm. scholarship and. Uh, I didn't live 20 kilometres from the university. It <laughs> <laughs> was 19.2 or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah. So what year did you finish your engineering degree? Well, 65 the first one, 67 and then... Hang on, hang on, hang on. I just asked one question. I said, what year did you finish your engineering degree? 1965, yeah. Right, and what did you do after 65? Um, well, I did a few months with the... Um, uh, 
oh, just a holiday work with the Australian Road Research Board, and then mm. I went back on an Australian Road Research Board scholarship to Melbourne Uni. To do what? Master of Engineering. Science. Master of Engineering. Yeah. Now, the world's starting to shake around 65, 66, 67. What was, what was your world doing? <laughs> I was not. I was not really uh, uh, um, any way politically involved. I mean, I think um, although I came from a DLP family, I voted Labor in my mm. first election. So I suppose mm. I was just a middle mm. of the road Labor supporter, really. Mm. Mm. Yeah, but you didn't get involved in the no, moratorium no, movement. No, no, not at all. Like, no. Not at all. No, no. You concentrated on your masters. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. What do you mean, sort of? Yeah. What was going on in the in the background? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing you want to talk about. No. <laughs> Right, Patty. We'll we'll accept that. We, we don't actually push people in, the, yeah. in this uh, in this interview. I mean, if you were, you know, making drugs, who knows what no, you were doing? No. We're not going to go into that. All right, yeah. not that Patty ever was. Carlton's <laughs> best underground chemist. No, that's I right. No, he worked. <laughs> all right. So you get a master's in '67. Yeah. And does that open any doors? Well, yeah. I I thought about going into um, consulting, and in fact, yeah. it was so easy to get work then. I mean, yeah. People were, were trying to get you into, you know, you just go along and and I c- could have been a uh, soil mechanics consultant and I, I just sometimes wonder what would have happened if I'd gone down that path. Well, you, know? you wouldn't be here today, most likely. I could have been locked in. It's hard yeah. to know. Or yeah. It might have happened later, yeah. 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 But that's um, further so, down the track. So what did you do in 67? Well, um, finished a master's and then I worked um, at the Australian Road Research Board for six months and looked around for a place to do a doctorate. Right. Did you find a place? Yeah, uh, the University of Newcastle offered me a um, uh, what do you call it, research um, fellowship, fellowship or, yep. or something. Uh, anyhow, it, it paid a, an engineering wage and um, basically had four and a half days out of five to do research. So that mm. was, uh, and it was great getting out of Melbourne and getting away from the whole scene. I think that's what changed me actually. Newcastle changed you. Yeah, because it was a long way from home, right? That's the first time I've ever heard anybody tell me that Newcastle has changed. But, but, I mean, when you think of it, you know, like... Uh, yeah, no, you left. You left well, all the All my five, five brothers and sisters have been through Melbourne Uni as well, right? Right, and right. So I sort of tied down there in a bit, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's, what was when I, that's when I first started thinking much more mm. deeply about things. So what happened when you... Did you stay on campus at Newcastle? No, no, I just um, flattered with, with other guys uh, yeah. around, yeah. yeah. So what started... What what made things change in Newcastle? What's so important about Newcastle? Nothing. The, the fact that it wasn't Melbourne, I think. Yeah. That was it. The yeah, fact it wasn't I, Melbourne. You could be yourself. It was a good place, and also the university was smaller in the, right, then, right. at least, anyhow. So what, you could be yourself and there's nobody checking up on you? Yeah, I, I the found old, it, The old riding over the hill from yeah, the village. Yeah, yeah. I, I found it liberating in that sense, yeah. Right. And did you get involved in anything at the university? Not really, I don't no, think. Um, right. Just did a lot of reading, a right. lot of reading. Right. Right. I remember going and sitting under a, um, a sign that said, I, I suppose I spent half my time reading and the other half doing research. Mm. I remember sitting under a sign saying, um, careful falling rocks, because that way I could get left alone <laughs> 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 uh, on the beach at Newcastle, Castle. right? So nobody would come up and say, what are you reading? Well, there was one guy who <laughs> came up to me and he said he'd spent his life, an old guy, and he, well, I thought he was old, <laughs> he'd spent his life making railway um Lines, right, for the steelworks. Yeah. No, yeah. no, the, uh, the lines itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for the steelworks. He said, yeah. and he never had any sex apart from a few weeks in the nerve hospital, which yeah. was a psychiatric ward. Anyhow, he had this great job opportunity for me. Apparently, right. a local job there was you were, went on uh, in a boxing arena with some professional, and if right, it lasted right. five minutes, yeah, you, yeah. you got five dollars or something, yeah, right? Right, right? Yeah, uh, great job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you don't. You don't. Looking at you. Look, I know our listeners can't see you, but looking at you, you don't. Maybe a bantamweight or a flyweight, <laughs> but that's about it, you know. You wouldn't be going to the heavyweight no, divisions. No, no. You didn't take up the offer. No, no, no. no. I thought there must be better ways of making a living. <laughs> so, so what did you do your doctorate in? Soil mechanics. What does that mean? Well, it's um, treating soil as an engineering material, the same as concrete or steel. It mm-hmm. involves calculation and, of course, a lot of experimental work because um, soil's a non-engineered subject, uh, substance, and so the models don't fit as well as they do, you know, the mm. elastic model fits steel and so on. Mm. So it was a laboratory-based um, uh, PhD. So what was your contribution to new knowledge? Uh, it was on stabilised clay soils, um, mm. stabilising with c- c- cement and uh, lime. So, mm. Yeah. Mm. And so what, what you found in practical applications? Well, it's used for... Um, uh, road foundation, that sort of thing. Oh, we're in. Well, it's getting ahead of the story when I went mm. to Tanzania, but we, mm. we shall get onto that. We'll get onto that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah but so, so, so you finish your doctorate. What seventy, seventy one, seventy, be, end of seventy. Yeah, seventy, and, and uh, the wall's your oyster. Yeah, well, um, I'd met while I was in Tanzania a couple of. Uh, so hang on, you've gone to Tanzania while you're doing your No, doctorate. no, no, I'm saying I, I got the idea of going to Tanzania right. or of working overseas and um, there are a couple of um, Tanzanian students at the university. Um, I think they were teachers doing just mm-hmm. doing education courses there or something and I got talking to them and thought, yeah, that's the place I'll go. So, mm. um, Excuse me. Yeah. Excuse me. Here you are, Mount Evelyn boy. University of Melbourne, University of Newcastle, you've done everything by the book, and all of a sudden you get this idea in your head you want to go to Tanzania. What gripped you? What's going on? Well, all the reading I'd done, I think, you know, um, <clears throat> well, I, I'd given up my religion and, you know, and was reading a lot of philosophy and so on. And um, You'd given up your religion? Yeah, yeah. How old were you there? Oh, I don't know. 23, 24, something like that. Yeah. What was what was the crisis? Why, why give no, up your no, religion? No, no, no crisis. I just didn't believe it anymore, you know. Right. Yeah. Just... Yeah. yeah. Reading is dangerous. The church is right. <laughs> <laughs> you prove it. It's very dangerous. That's what I like about being a Catholic. You know, the thing is, you let the priests and the church hierarchy interpret the Bible for you. You never read it. You leave that to the bloody Protestants. <laughs> but the point is, I mean, getting away from Melbourne helped there as well, right? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Tanzania, how, how do you get to Tanzania in 1970? Well, you take uh, Qantas to Mauritius, or Il Maurice, as they call it there, and yeah. then you take uh, East African Airlines to uh, Dar es Salaam. Yeah, but, but it, did you have any accommodation? Did you have a job to, to go yeah, to? Yeah, I'd written over, and um, Dar es Salaam Tech College, as it was called then, mm. uh, and I'd uh, written over and got a job there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's now called Dar es Salaam Institute of Technology, and now it, you know, Got a vice chancellor. What did you think when you got off the plane at Dar es Salaam? Yeah, it was a bit of a culture shock, seeing I'd never been out of the country. <laughs> exactly, before. that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, but uh, I pretty soon uh, fitted uh, in, and uh, uh, there are a lot of young um, expatriates there, mainly um, people from other volunteer organisations, or like the VSO Volunteer Service Organisation from uh, uh, Britain and uh, uh, QSO Canadian University Service. Organisation or service, University of Canadian Outremer, as the other half called it. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, not really, um, no, a couple of Americans, but basically the Peace Corps weren't there because it was it was a socialist country, so they stayed away. Mm. Um, but a lot of um, Scandinavians, interestingly, they were called volunteers, but actually they were they were doing alternative military service. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So they, they, they were actually contra- conscientious <laughs> objectors. 
Yeah, sort of. They yeah. had a choice of either forest camp or, yeah. if it were, if they had degrees, working overseas. Working overseas. Yeah. And, uh, did you fit into the college there? Yeah, it was good. Um, I mean, I stayed there six years. Six years. And in the end, I was the longest serving uh, academic of any nationality, including Tanzanian. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like teaching there in those in the in the mid seventies? Hot. <laughs> Hot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we used to start teaching early. We started yeah. teaching at seven thirty. We yeah. finished at one thirty. Mm. Taught Saturday morning. Um, but, you know, what I remember mainly is the sun being on top of, of your head all the time, right? right yeah, right, it, yeah. Uh, And the days were all pretty much the same length. And, of course, um, they counted differently. Um, uh, six o'clock was hour zero. Uh, seven right. o'clock was Sar Modja, first hour. Right. Because when, you, when the days are of equal length, there's no point in putting them around midnight. No. So myself and others and, and the Tanzanians would wear their watch, European-style, and if somebody asked you in Swahili, uh, so in Garvey, what time yeah. is it? You had yeah. to first look at your watch, right. <laughs> add on six hours, right. or translate into Swahili and tell them. Right? Yeah. So what's your Swahili? What, how, how good did you get Swahili again? Not, not very good because I was teaching English and English. I was in Dar es Salaam, right? right. Uh, those who worked up, up country were generally much better. Much better, right. Yeah. And yeah. what made you leave? Well, I guess um, if you're an expatriate, you can't really fit in there. I mean, I, originally I thought of staying there but mm. uh, before I went, but then you're always going to be an expatriate, right? So mm. Um, mm. so I left and came back in um, beginning at 77. 77. Look, it's 4.31. This is Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR. We're interviewing or chatting to, who wouldn't call this an interview, to Mr Paddy Moriarty and uh, the Empress Dale Bridge is doing all the technical work without Dale here. We'd just be talking to each other, Paddy. We (laughs) We wouldn't be talking to the world. So thank you, Dale. Thanks, Dale. So you come back. Yeah, I might add that when I was in Tanzania, apart from teaching, um, Uh I also did research on mud housing and Uh low-cost housing in in general. Yeah. You know, I did some research on uh, mud housing for my doctorate, believe it or not, uh-huh. although it's a medical doctorate, yeah, you know, yeah. a doctorate of medicine, uh, because one of the most common... Because co- I was doing spinal cord paralysis, researching the spinal cord paralysis, and this is where it, it fits in nicely. Um, one of the most common causes of paralysis is the collapse of uh, mud houses onto people in, in, in Africa. It's a very common cause of paralysis. Mm. So obviously we've got to blame you for that. <laughs> <laughs> what type of research were you doing? Well, I used to go around the villages and have a look at what worked and what didn't. Right. Yeah. 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 It sort of partly used my soil mechanics background, but basically it was a whole new field, really. And what did you think of the mud houses? Well, one thing that Tanzania is self-sufficient in is um, mud, you know, dirt <laughs> <Right>. in general. <laughs> lots of dirt. Yeah, lots of dirt. And also, if, if you've made – well, nobody can complain that the floor is dirty because it's dirt. Dirt, yeah. So they, they used to put um, – straw mats on top and you mm. just raise, shake the straw mats and put it on top of whatever was underneath, right? right yeah. So it was uh, made cleaning the house pretty easy and you couldn't <laughs> complain about the house if you designed and built it yourself, Self, you know. That's right, yeah. yeah. So what, what, any design features in these mud houses that caught your eye? Well, um, up country, see, in, 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 in the tropical Africa, in inland tropical Africa, the night is the winter of the tropics, as it were, right? So... In the coastal area, like where Dar es Salaam, where I lived, where, where the institute was, they had very thin walls because you didn't want thermal storage, right? Mm-hmm. Inland, um, I went to a <clears throat> the home of uh, a student of mine and uh, they had 40 centimetre thick walls. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, originally I thought that there'd be a lot of uh, erosion of mud from from uh, rain, but uh, I was able to check, because it had the flattened out corrugated drum roof, that dated it to the Second World War because Tanzania was a staging point for South African stuff going north. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a look at the uh, mud under the eaves and down lower, and it's only about half a centimetre eroded, right, because in Africa the... Raindrops, the tropical thunderstorms are very heavy raindrops, but they, there's no wind component. So they, as long as you can keep the rain off the uh, walls. That's all right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. All right. So um, you come back, Sydney, Melbourne, Newcastle? Melbourne, yep. Melbourne, you fly, you're flying back to Melbourne. What do you think when you get off the plane? Oh, look, I couldn't believe all these bleached white people. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> oh, after you know, being 60 years of rich brown colours, you know. Yeah, yeah. And then I saw a guy in a suit rummaging through a garbage can. I thought, I don't even own a suit. Where do I fit in? <laughs> I didn't realise that the Salvation Army handed right. out suits. <laughs> the other experience is a Harry Krishna guy coming up to me for a donation. I gave him 20 cents and he didn't look impressed. I thought that was a lot. That's right. <laughs> so did you come back to a job or did you just... Well, I um, came back and then my sister, uh, I stayed with her in... Um, Heidelberg for a few weeks uh-huh. until, and um, she saw a, a job ad for um, Caulfield Institute of, of Technology in Civil Engineering. Uh-huh. So I applied and they said, unless you've got two heads, you, you, you've got the job. Right. I don't know. If they, they probably couldn't, couldn't do that these days with no. political correctness. I don't yeah. that, yeah. you know. So I got the job and um, that's when it started, as it were, because I was asked to teach transport, which I'd never done before. Mm-hmm. And so that sort of was part of how, how I became a transport activist. Hang on, hang yeah. on, hang on. I'm a bit confused. You've got a doctorate in soil. Yeah. You teach soil in Tanzania. Yeah. You come back to Melbourne. Yeah. And all of a sudden you've been appointed as an academic in transport. Well, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> well, no, it was an institute. It was an institute then, right? And yeah. they, they said required to teach this, this and this. And when I got there, they weren't the list of subjects I was going to teach anyhow. Right. So I taught land use planning, which, again, I hadn't done any of. Um mm. And, uh, you know, uh, drafting, which is pretty easy, and transport, mm. yeah. Transport. Yeah, so I had to learn. You had to learn. Yeah, same with, um, you know, urban planning and that sort of thing too. So this this is in the late 70s? Yeah, 77. Yeah. 77. Transport. Hmm. Well, I, f- I first came to Melbourne in 76. We didn't have a transport problem, did we? No, but they still teach... <laughs> They still teach transport the same as they teach structures or something, you know. Right, right, yeah, right, yeah, right, yeah. right, right, right. What did you think about this? You spent all your life doing this and all of a sudden you're doing something different. Yeah, but no, in in Africa I was looking at low-cost housing, so that was really a secondary research area, so I was quite happy to start again, you know. Yeah, start again. Oh, yeah, I didn't want to stay in Well, about all that work you've done? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I did think of doing some research and that, but pretty soon I, I got interested in, um, well, when I started getting interested in transport problems and so on, my research tended to move in that direction. Transport problems? Yeah. Um, well, we have transport problems. We had transport problems in Melbourne in 1977? Well, a bit later in... Um, well, I came... Uh, I was after the uh, freeway, Eastern Freeway thing. Kevin Healy can tell you about that, right? Mm, mm. But um, I came... My coming of age was the Loney Report came out in 1980 or 81. The what report? Loney Report. What, what is it? I mean, I oh, Loney was a former uh, chief executive officer of um, General Motors Holden mm-hmm. and they hired to write a report on Melbourne's transport. 
you might think it'd be a conflict of interest. Well, look, you went from soil to transport. I think it's logical. <laughs> I've got no problems with that. Anyhow, um, this report advocated closing five of Melbourne's rail lines. Mm-hmm. And um, the combined public transport union uh, got me, uh, Jeff Lacey and John Andrews to write a report called Hold the Line and um, costing Melbourne's public transport, transport options. And um, anyhow, we're, we're, together we were successful in stopping the closure of those lines, um, which is pretty important because closing five of the 16 or 17 lines, the others would have soon followed because there's no point in going down to a railway station if, there's no, if, if the train doesn't actually go anywhere, right? Yeah. So once it stops being a system, people have to get cars and pretty soon it winds up. Well, it makes sense, doesn't it? He was the former head of... Yeah. General Motors. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, does it? Yeah. You know, that he'd want to close the railway lines. And then, um, so when uh, Labor came in, when was that, 82, Kane government? Kane government, yeah. Yeah, the first so there was um, um, Steve Crabb, who was the Transport Minister, um, set up these four um, uh, working groups to have a look at to setting up the, uh, the MTA and the STA and the uh, Roads Corporation and whatever the other one was. And um, so I was on the... Um, the MTA, the Metropolitan Transit Authority, where we were joining the trams, buses and trains together. Mm. It's it's a forerunner of the Met we have today. Mm. Mm. So I was a, a union rep on, on on that. Union rep? What what union? Well, the Australian Railways Union. Australian Railways Union. Yeah. So yeah. What, how come you're a, a union rep for the Australian Railways Union? Because um, because I'd done voluntary work for them. Right, right. right. So they, and that's personally person they wanted. I was an academic and, you know... So uh, they, yeah. yeah. So were you, were you involved in the '86 kerfuffles? Was that '86? I think. Which one? Uh, uh, the big strike, the public transport strike in Melbourne that brought the city to a standstill. No, I, what I was involved in was the closure of the, um, uh, of the, uh, or the sorry, the, the the conversion of the Port Melbourne and St Kilda lines to light rail. Right. Uh, they were they were. Melbourne's, well, Australia's earliest railway lines. Mm-hmm. They went in in 1953, I think. Uh, they were beaten in the Southern Hemisphere. The one in Brazil, I think, beat it by a year or so, even though it had been settled you know, several hundred years earlier. Um, there's an interesting story of how we came to have five foot three gauge. Mm. Uh, the, the engineer we hired originally, he was Irish, and so he used Irish gauge. Right? You know, you're not. You're not uh, <laughs> Come on, Paddy, come on. <laughs> Leave him alone. I mean, he was Irish. That's why he used... Well, there's no, there's no reason why one's better than the other, but four, they were firming on four foot eight and a half overseas. Well, and if you're, if you're... Maybe he's trying to get the Irish contracts to make the, the light well, rail. Well, well, the point is that the uh, New South Wales agreed to have the same thing, but the guy, original guy went to the goldfields or something, so they had a separate gauge, and then Queensland mm. had another gauge. And then <laughs> well, what's wrong with getting off crazy. at the border? Mm? What's wrong with getting off at the exactly, border and yeah. changing trains? Yeah, it yeah. used to be a great pastime. <laughs> you could always buy a pie when you yeah, change your exactly, train. Exactly. Yeah. So where did all that? Where did all that finish? Albury. Um, well, when they put the four foot eight and a half right through to uh, to Sydney. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But the Riverina, I think, still uses for the for the uh, grain trains. Are still five, uh, the Victorian gauge. Well, it's very important because you remember we were we could have been six independent nations. Yeah. If it wasn't for the. Uh, the uh, referendum in 1900 to, you know, form the Federation. Yeah. And, you know, we could have been. And that's why. They had their own navy. Yeah, the Williamstown Navy. Yeah, yeah. you go down to the HMS Cerebus, it's still there. The yeah. Hulk is still there down at uh, Half Moon Bay. And you had your own railway line, yeah. your own armed forces. When they went to the Boer War, this is yeah. funny, when they went to the Boer War, 
We didn't go as Australians. We went as Victorians and New South Welsh. It's the same for the Boxer Rebellion 30 years yeah, previously. Yeah. You had all these local militias going to fight in these, these foreign <laughs> wars. So what's the problem with having yeah. a different rail gauge? You yeah. can have a different country. Anyhow, I should tell you that in 1979, I gave my first transport paper to the, um, the Institution of Engineers Railway Conference in Adelaide. Mm-hmm. And I called the paper The Renewal of Melbourne's Public Transport System. Mm-hmm. Now, at this stage, you know, the the official idea was public transport was an interesting relic of a, of a bygone age which would quite, quietly fold up. So I was personally attacked for giving this paper, right? Personally attacked? Oh, oh yeah, you know, the, the guy, I think the guy, the convener was um, from the uh, Main Roads Association oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. of New South Wales. Yes, I don't pick him well. <laughs> 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 Anyhow, in, uh, in 1980, no, 2005, um, yeah. I went to a Australian Transport Research Forum conference in Sydney, I think it was, or Canberra, mm-hmm. and uh, paper after paper extolling the virtues of public transport. Of public transport. Mm-hmm. And I was saying to the young postgrads there, look, I said, the main thing is, don't don't start researching your topic until it's safe to do so. <laughs> right. Well, that's right. I mean, yeah. everybody needs a trailblazer, <laughs> and, and every trailblazer gets knocked in the yeah, head. Yeah. I mean, that's the way it works. So... Were you still working at Caulfield, or did you yeah, move yeah. on? Yeah, yeah. No, I've been there for 40 years. 40 years. Yes. Have you ever thought of moving on? Well, because I – see, I, I got sacked there and – You um, got sacked? Yeah. And uh, so – let's, let's, let's go back. Let's, yeah. This is interesting. Why, well, why would they sack a respected academic who's worked at Caulfield for so many years? No, for, no, no, for three years. Um, I'd worked there for three years, and I was heavily involved with the union then, you know. And, oh, right. And, um, oh, well – I think the head wasn't very sympathetic to those sort of views, right? So, oh, right. Yeah. And so, you were sacked? Yeah. Or was uh, your... Uh, uh, my, my contract wasn't renewed, right? Oh, right. Even then they had contracts. Yeah. yeah so, um, yeah. So, so what I did, though, I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just stay on here and um, I work for mechanical and so on, right? So you just went to another department? Yeah. Well, they well, hated, well, hated the head of civil, right? <laughs> so it was no problem. And uh, I worked part-time. So I was only full-time for three years of my life. So, yeah. you know, so I've, uh, you know, I was six years in Tanzania and uh, apart from post-grad work, I, I worked uh, full-time for three years in my life, which is good. Uh, part-time. Yeah. You haven't got kids then, have you? No, no. No, I didn't think so. You'd, <laughs> you'd be working full-time if yeah. you had. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is, there is a very positive aspect to it. Yeah. So what changed in terms – don't worry about the noise, it's just the door. Yeah. It's okay, this is 3CR. You know, we need a, a good engineer here for soundproofing, mm. but that's another story. Mm. Now, what changed to make public transport – so important. I mean, you're telling me you went to this conference. Was it '79 or '80 uh, down in Adelaide, and you and you were con- 2005, the Adelaide conference. Yeah. Well, what changed in Melbourne? I think. Um, I guess there was a slow burn from the uh, oil crisis of the '70s, but I think as well, what's happened in Melbourne is, in recent years, this huge population growth. I mean, driven by developers, I get well, federal government policy. But I mean, it's um, uh, so what we've had is extraordinary growth in population. I mean, it's pretty obvious now that with, well, take 1947, Melbourne had 1.4 million people. It's now got 4.6 million people. It couldn't function without a public transport system. Also, in the last decade or two, we've had um, very large numbers of Asians who aren't so much used to um, having cars. So there's a much more, so there's a lot more people and a lot more people used to using public transport. So on my line, the Dandenong line, the trains are full. 
day and night. You know, mm. it's, it's a 10-minute service on the weekends. 30 years ago, it was 40 minutes. If you missed a train, it was sort of a disaster. Mm. You know, mm. you had to camp. Mm. Now, mm. you don't bother about a timetable. Mm. But we actually haven't kept pace. I mean, I, I moved to Melbourne in 76. And you From get, where? Oh, Queensland. Uh-huh. I was well. I had a similar problem you had. I was blacklisted by BLQPs, and I was told you'll never get a job in a. You won't public... work in this town again. No, I won't work in the <laughs> state again. And I... <laughs> so I had to come to Melbourne. This was in late '76. I mean, here I am. I applied for a job. You know, finished my internship as a doctor, ready to work in the public hospital system. I called up, said, "No, you'll never get a job. Yeah, never. You're blacklisted. Go." Yeah. So we left. But getting back to public transport, when I came here in '77, you could get around in a car. Yeah, you yeah. can't. You can't now. Yeah, everyone says that. Yeah, you can't. You just can't. Well, I actually sold my car in seventy um, six. So seventy six. Yeah, <laughs> you're a prophet. Yeah. <laughs> so I walk and take public transport. Yeah, uh, uh. yeah. So I walk a lot, which is good. Yeah. What do you think of the tram system? Oh, it's great. Where the uh, I think it's the largest tram system in the world now. I mean, the ones mm. in uh, St. Petersburg and Moscow were larger, but I think they've fallen on hard times. Mm. And so. Um, so it's, I think it's the largest. I mean, Melbourne had, uh, Australia had 17 tram or trolley systems in the 40s, uh, including uh, Kalgoorlie had five kilometres or something, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, Launceston, Hobart, yeah. Newcastle, Wollongong, uh, Rockhampton, all those places. Yeah, Brisbane. Yeah, they all had um, yeah. trams or, or trolley buses. Until the 60s when most of them were pulled out, weren't they? Yeah, well, Sydney, um, I think they had patronage 300 million and they were um, pulled up pulled out and burnt. Or as they say in the literature says, the trams it, it disappeared from the streets, right? And I asked my students, so how did trams, it, it didn't disappear exactly. You know, they're solid, aren't they? I mean, how do they disappear? No, somebody piled them up and burnt them, right? right yeah. I said, they were planners. So don't worry about next time you see vandalism, who the real vandals are. Right? Right, right, <laughs> right. And now, of course, they're trying to bring them back. I mean, imagine if we were trying to bring the rail system. It would cost billions. Imagine right. buying up properties in South Yarra to put the rail line in again. Yeah, yeah. It's still going to close down. Yeah, so in that sense, that's an achievement. Like, you don't win very often, but that one was a pretty spectacular one. That is a spectacular And obviously, yeah. without the Australian Railways Union, you wouldn't have won that. No. And a sympathetic government a, a year yeah. or two uh, later. The Australian Railways Union eventually sacked me. <laughs> they sacked you too. <laughs> What's going on here, Paddy? What's going on? What did you do? Did you get well, support me, uh, the wrong faction or something? No. Well, well, well as you know, the Australian Railways Union was a mixture of... Um, of the socialist left faction uh, and the communist party yeah. and um, so the idea was that you had to we started Kevin Healy myself and a few others started the, the public transport party to uh, fight the um, the uh, Chadston freeway mm-hmm. and um, because that was opposed well it wasn't the Labor Party right? that's right and therefore they could um, get rid of me you see I mean, the, right. the yeah. communist party wasn't a labor party either no. but they overlooked that right right that's <laughs> so, right so in other words we didn't follow labor policy although the people in the inner core of this public transport party were all a lot of them were on the um on the uh alp uh transport policy committee actually <laughs> well, so what actually happened to the public transport party oh we just contested the 85 state election right, right three seats um inner melbourne um mm. steve crab's seat and i think uh Peran. Mm. We actually got 7% in Melbourne. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, not yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think What do you think about the changes that are happening today in Melbourne? Well, I think it's real estate-driven or development-driven. I mean, I think our economy is now sort of a Ponzi scheme, right? It's based mm-hmm. on coal um, and uh, building. Mm-hmm. 
Um, if you go back to 1947, the first post-war census, 42% of people in Melbourne worked in, in factories. Right. We, were the, we were the manufacturing capital for this whole region. There was no manufacturing in Asia, and we had more than Sydney and so on. So, you know, people had jobs. It was much more equal society in that sense, although there were... In a sense, today we're more tolerant in some ways, but there's more of a hidden underclass perhaps now than there was then. Um, so now, you know, everything's made in China, and the way that works is that, um, all right, the wages in China are lower. Three things you need to remember. Uh, one is that China is turning its own country in, into a toxic waste dump, uh, air, soil, and uh, water pollution, and that costs money. I mean, um, countries that do it right have to charge more. Secondly, uh, worker health and safety is ignored. I mean, a vast number of them have missing fingers and limbs and so on. And thirdly, I believe in a number of third world countries, the the percentage of the of the take that goes to the workforce is actually lower than than here. Right? Much lower. Much yeah, lower. Yeah. So here's three much reasons lower. why. They, I mean, well, I, yeah, yeah. well, in the last forty years, the percentage used to be two thirds to one third, two thirds yeah, to workers, yeah. one third to capital. It's now fifty fifty. Yeah. No, sorry, it's now one third, two thirds the other way. In forty years, yeah. during the you know the globalisation revolution, yeah, race to the bottom, yeah, race to the bottom, yeah. yeah. But but getting back to you, getting back to you, what does somebody who's so involved in public transport do for relaxation? You don't have model trains, do you? No, no. <laughs> in fact, what I do now, I, when you say activist, I mean for the last, especially the last ten years, I've been mainly. Um, I've been researching um, global. I've become an academic and mm. researching global problems. Um, with the realization that things like, um, you know, uh, global climate change, global environmental problems, and so on, are global problems, and you have to take a global view. So, I tend to publish in international journals and so on. And what type uh, of journals are you publishing in? Well, um, energy policy, um, mm. uh, renewable and sustainable energy reviews, um, mm. International Journal of Sustainable Transportation. Um, I've, I've published locally as well in Arena and, you know, things mm. like that. Um, the, the conversation I put in popular articles in that, you know, the, um, well, Australian, yeah. American, British um, mm. Mm. thing. Uh, so, so what's the gist of this this research you're doing? Well, it's a bit heretical even from a Green point of view. Oh, that's good. We want yeah. to hear that. Well, uh, a paper I've just coming out soon, I've got uh, three scenarios or, or, or three futures, nightmare, diversion, and, and vision, right? The nightmare mm-hmm. one is continuation of present and nobody listening. The second one, diversion, is actually the uh, green development. Green capitalism. Yeah, and that's um, at least, I mean, they're halfway there. They recognise we have a problem at least, right? I think they're um, solution to fairy tales, and that's where my en- engineering background comes in. And the third one, of course, is where we want to get to, vision, if you like, and the need, the, the need for utopias and so on, you know, um, at least thinking in a utopian manner and so on. You think that's possible now, 7 billion people? <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, um, all my articles in the end say, look, technical fixes won't work. In fact, the um, articles for environmental science and policy mm-hmm. in America, and um, that basically we need um, to change the way we live our lives mm-hmm. in the rich countries and so on. Right? Mm. So... Um, what am I working on at present? Um, so basically, I, I've turned into a into a party pooper, you might say, which doesn't uh, make you very. You just continued what you've done all along since yeah. you came back to Australia. Yeah, but you, looking at it from an academic point of view, you see, you get 
some points for being an enfant terrible. I'm a bit old for an enfant terrible. <laughs> so, yeah. so are you. <laughs> but on the other hand, if you're uh, if you're a um, if you say things that are unpopular, that sort of counts the other way a bit, mm. right? And so, you know, for instance, yeah. But, but sometimes, sometimes you've just got to break through what is the orthodoxy of the period. Yeah, yeah. And there is a lot of, as you said, political correctness, a lot of orthodoxy today. Yeah. Huge amount of orthodoxy among the so-called, uh, you know, alternatives and progressive e- sections exactly, of society. Exactly, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and if, you, if you step out of line, you, you, you know, with the beauty of the social media, you can be held down in, you know, in, in one hour. Oh, it's mm. extraordinary. I mean, one of the, I, I wrote an article on, on vegetarianism for the, uh, for the, for the conversation. I am a vegetarian mm. because a social professor um, in, in New South Wales Uni had written an article saying that um, vegetarians uh, cause more harm to animals than meat eaters do. <laughs> Needless to say, this was an extremely popular article, right? Right, right, right. And I got so incensed I wrote, you know, using um, uh, food and agri- agricultural organisation um, statistics and so on and mm. refuted it point by point. Um, it, it, it did all right. It was the most downloaded in Australia that week. Mm. But then it got picked up by, uh, you heard of a site called I, IFL Science, which stands for I, I Fucking I Love Science. Science. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, it got 160,000 reads there and so mm. on. And But the, the comments, I mm. mean... I mean, a lot of them say, look, I don't want to have to read all this to, before I comment. You know, I just want to comment. This that's is, right. That's the blogs, amazing you know, thing. Yeah, 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 it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Look, don't, you know, you don't confuse this, me yeah. with figures, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why, that's why you've got people, you know, having opinions on things and the facts are there, but the facts don't matter. Yeah. It's just <laughs> the opinion that yeah, matters. Yeah, exactly, it's your yeah. opinion, not yeah. the fact that you've looked at the facts. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to. And everyone's opinion is as good as someone else's. Uh, as I always say, if you've done your homework, yes, it is. If you haven't, no. No. Right. That's you right. are entitled, and that's unpopular. You're entitled to your, your, to your opinions, but not to your facts. No, that's right. Well, you pick and choose, you pick and choose. Have you got any plans for the future? Yeah, um, I'm still writing um, third book. Be coming out this year. Um, Can you give us the title? Yeah, well, the, f- the first one was called, this was sort of a prof- prophetic title, it was called The Rise and Fall of the Carbon Civilization, right? That wow. was with Springer, that came out in 2011. The second one was a more technical book on hydrogen production. This one is on um, big data and urban sustainability. I'm doing it with a Chinese colleague from Caulfield who lives across the corridor, mm-hmm. and with a Chinese colleague from colleague from Denmark who I haven't met and never will. Right. <laughs> and he's writing a few chapters, yeah. and my Chinese colleague's writing a few chapters, and he's the but he has the book contract, and I'm writing a few, but I'll also pull it together, and because I'm the native English speaker, I'll right. also <laughs> make sure <laughs> it speaks with one, with one voice and it's English. Right. right. Which brings me to a question. I'm, I'm reviewing a paper um, from China today. Uh, and the English was very, very good, um, but they used the word bullet, billabong. Is billabong. That, really? Is that used outside Australia at all? Well, um, I think it's internationally known because it's been used commercially. Yeah, oh, with the clothes, yeah. With the clothes. But I thought that was pretty good. This is a very well-written article. Yeah, yes. well, it yeah. is a one-world as you said, yeah, yeah, you know, it's we're one globe, yeah, and uh, the uh, communication makes us one globe. <laughs> you know, you told us that. <laughs> That's what you're doing now. Yeah. Right. So, um, and no plans of retiring and watching TV for the rest of your no, life. No. Well, what I am now, I mean, I, because I've never worked, therefore the retirement option doesn't really come in. Oh, you've never worked. No. Well, no. apart from the three years, when, I say when I was full time at yeah, Monash yeah, Caulfield. Yeah. So now I'm an adjunct associate professor at Monash, mm. which is a, a much fancier term than old age pensioner, which, right. is, what I, which is what I am. <laughs> right. Right. So I have a uh, 
you know, office and a telephone and computer and internet and so on. Um, and um, I just sit there and um, research. You know, I, I advise, mentor, if you like, the junior staff and the so postgrad so students a bit. But yeah. So one day somebody's going to knock on the door and they're going to find you spread-eagled yeah. on the floor. Is that, yeah. is that, that's your plan? With a half-written paper. <laughs> that's your plan for the future. Great yeah. plan. <laughs> Great plan, Patty. Thank you very much, Patty. Thank you for sharing your life with us here on Radical Australia. It was a pleasure talking to you, and hopefully you'll be producing more fascinating things for us to tear up in the next decade. All the best. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dale. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Dale. Everybody knows the fight was fixed The poor stay poor, the rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows Discreet, but there were so many people you just had to 